Hi, my name is Ian Parry, and welcome to What the Future, the podcast produced by Future Leaders Mentoring. We have a clear mission to create an inclusive and diverse community that enables individuals to unlock their potential and develop their career. Today, we're chatting with Emma Wee and James Miles about neurodiversity, the workplace now and into the future. Morning, both. Hello, how are you doing? Morning. <laughs> hello, hello. Um, really looking forward to getting into this one. So this is the third conversation the three of us have had uh, about neurodiversity. And every time I've kind of learned more and more, and I'm really looking forward to understanding, um, I guess, from a personal point of view, more about uh, what I can be doing differently in today's um, workplace, but also thinking about sort of children and future leaders, how the workplace will hopefully change with good people like yourselves in the workplace, helping it go down that road. Um, and I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm always educated fully after podcasts with you both. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So um, rather than me doing any more talking, let's let's get straight into the questions, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Emma, just starting with you then, um, what, what, in your opinion, is 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 wrong with today's workplaces that make it less inclusive for neurodivergent people? Well, there's a whole range of stuff from kind of a lack of understanding, a lack of empathy, um, the way that you know traditionally things like say ADHD and autism are viewed as kind of mental health disorders. They're not stop press the neurodevelopmental um and I think that kind of a lot of people have really kind of misguided opinions and kind of like their own perceptions of kind of what someone can do and who they are if they see a label there's a huge kind of amount of projection on on kind of um sort of people's capacity it's that kind of you know whitewashing everybody or kind of paint, painting everyone with the same brush kind of thing mm-hmm. um and i think that there's also a real um conflict or kind of pull on resources in terms of people think that reasonable adjustments are going to cost them extra time and money and it's you know have i really got the energy for this should we just not get someone else who doesn't have that you know so that all kind of becomes very very sketchy in terms of um equality and kind of being able to see individuals for who they are. Um, I had an example recently where I was coaching an individual who was about to transition into a new role and she's at kind of a CTO level. And it was the first time that she'd made the decision to disclose at the new role that she would like to consider reasonable adjustments. She hadn't even said what condition she had, but she said, I'd like to kind of discuss how my reasonable adjustments will kind of uh, kind of be put in place hmm. what she then heard from one of her referees was that the person who was offering her the job phoned up the referee even with this person's cv in front of them and went can they do this job wow okay so even though this person had gone through an interview yeah. even though her cv was like 20 years long they were still being questioned as to their capacity purely on the basis they'd been asked, they'd asked for a conversation around reasonable adjustments at that level. So if you think it, it, it's bad at that level, yeah. what is it like for everyone else? 
you know, who is starting out, who isn't even kind of like, uh, yeah. you know, foot foot on the grunt left ladder kind of thing. Yeah, so I think yeah. that's one of the real problems is people yeah. projecting what they assume about someone's capacity based on a difference. Yes. And I think one of the main problems about neurodivergence that is such a kind of, you know, this is a real hindrance to people disclosing is that it's the, I think probably one of the only areas, real areas of, of, of equality where people will automatically assign a lack of capacity and a lack of ability based on the label mm. in, in the way that, you know, sort of race and gender and kind of sexuality doesn't, it doesn't really come into there into in, 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 so kind of brutal away and you know and that really impacts people's um kind of sense of what they can achieve yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and how <clears throat> how does that how does that all resonate with you james yeah i, I yeah I, I can see that i mean I, I suppose coming from a personal perspective um having a um a neurodivergent child um, I do worry about the world of work and, and kind of the capacity for um, enabling uh, people um, with um, neuro, neurodivergence to get into the world of work. And I just think that, you know, it starts at the application process. You know, if, if, if the em employer isn't cognizant of what additional needs might be required, it's not inclusive, the process isn't inclusive, no consideration is made for for that um then you know neurodivergent people will, will, will struggle to get into the world of work full stop mm. um and one statistic really stood out when i did the research on this um which was that 22 percent of autistic people between the ages of 16 and 64 are in work and that compares to 52 percent of disabled people and 81 percent of non-disabled people Wow. It's incredible. It really is incredible. And I think it gives you an idea of the scale of the problem. And I think just as Emma said, I think a lot of it is down to employ employer awareness. Um, and I think about a third of employers, I'm, I'm assuming it's even higher than that, but I think at least a third of employers just think that it's just going to be too much hard work, mm. um, you know, to employ somebody um, with autism, for example. Um, so I think that's the critical thing. And I, I don't know how we can overcome that. I think, you know, as we, as we progress like in the next 10 years, you know, my son will be entering the world of work. I don't know what the world will look like at that point, but I think we're way behind the curve. I think we really need to make every effort to make certainly the application process um, far more inclusive. I think we leave it too late, just as Emma said, it's, it just seems very odd um really really actually struck me um with somebody of that seniority nothing was observed during that whole process Emma and yet they still found it necessary to wonder whether they could do the job um, and, and then even offered her the job you know they'd already yeah. got to the point of going you're great you're going to be amazing for our organization but hang on wait a minute <laughs> striking isn't yeah. it yeah, yeah. it's it's it really does give you a sense of the scale of the issue I suppose a question to you, Emma, is, is what what do you think employers can do? How do we make it? How do we make employers more aware of, of this? Type? Well, I think there's some really interesting stuff going on. I think I was, I was talking to someone at EY who's kind of uh, they're looking to kind of almost create, um, you know, um, a lab that is um, 
encouraging kind of to although they're not going to be shouting from putting a label on the building or anything but they're kind of you know there's an active kind of uh, a proactive approach to engaging neurodivergent adults one of the things that I suggested to her was that actually the recruitment process needs to be integrated into schooling so you know you have loads of kind of organizations that like to kind of get their brands into school for you know a bit of kind of uh, sort of like FaceTime why not create a recruitment process that is kind of targeted you know utilizing all those strengths about kind of gamification and kind of like special interests and you know do camps kind of like summer camps that are kind of tailored around finding what strengths individuals have mm. so that then organizations can go oh those kids can do x y and z we need those strengths right let's find some roles that we can kind of create something within our organization and so that also that the you know in terms of there's not such a cliff drop for those individuals for those young people to then enter the workplace because there's a process by which they're not being molded but but being encouraged to be open and contributing in the way that interview processes and, and kind of application processes just don't do hmm. um, and I think that's where people need to start thinking more creatively and yes that will take some time and investment but it then cuts down things later on in terms of time and effort to find the right people for the job. If you've already kind of been training them up from kind of like 15, 16 and kind of going, there was a place for you in the world, you don't have to feel so other, then that's actually going to boost business development across the board. Mm. It just takes a bit of creativity. It takes a bit of neurodivergent creativity, might I add, uh, <laughs> to think in that way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and is there... Thinking about sort of smaller businesses, are there even simple changes required in the, you know, to James's point, the application process? So today, you know, you might look at a job advert um, and there might be something in that that just just puts you off as a neurodivergent individual. And then the process that you might go through. So a face to face interview or yeah. you know, tell us a bit about yourself or you know psychometric testing are there are there things that you know we need to change that that get the best out of everybody that's going through that process rather than just some well i think there are really simple things like having um you know kind of application portals that are neurodivergent friendly like put information on the same on different pages in the same place you know like having clear fonts clear kind of setting I remember I did a piece of work for the Universal Music Group and looked at their international kind of portal in terms of the, the way that people kind of applied for jobs and it was all over the place and all it needed was someone to kind of look at all of those different application kind of portals and streamline them which they did um, you know simple things like uh, giving clear kind of timelines to when someone might get back to you and, and, and you know, sort of really clear descriptions of kind of job outlines. And um, I suppose, you know, one of the things about kind of um, when you onboard people, you know, how how much do you kind of make reasonable adjustments as I like to call it like part of the station recovered so people don't have to ask for things like assistive software it just is there yeah. um that you know you know if you're being interviewed that you get sent it um 
an organogram or you sent pictures of the people that are interviewing you um, so you're not having to process that process mm -hmm. that in the first instance so that you've got an idea of who's in the room you know those are all kind of really basic simple things that will benefit everyone but will make all the difference to the neurodiverse you know community absolutely i mean that sounds they, they sound like really simple steps yes that um, don't cost money that don't cost money, uh, <clears throat> as you say, that, that would benefit everybody going through mm -hmm. that process. And I really like the idea of the stationary cupboard where you don't have to kind of necessarily be jumping through lots of hoops to, to, to yeah. get that help. You don't have to sort of um, disclose to everybody and anybody um, what's going on in your life as a result. And it's just there for you um, to access and ultimately the business ends up with with an individual that has all the tools that they need to be as productive um, as they as they can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that you know one of the things about <clears throat> going back to the kind of why <clears throat> excuse me things not working don't work well in in the workplace is because there is that you know there's an inherent tension of when children are growing up and they sense that they're different or other, there is a, a huge pressure to kind of mask, i.e. kind of appear to be the same, so hold down all that internal kind of anxiety and be the same as everyone else. That continues into the workplace. You know, the amount of stress, additional work, I just have to work extra, just have to work harder than everyone else. It just takes me a bit long. You know, there's a level of comfort that everybody has a right to in working and being able to contribute in the workplace. People shouldn't have to normalize levels of extraordinary stress and distress in order to contribute. Um, and I think sort of there is a certain amount of other people's expectations being loaded on individuals who, you know, in addition to saying, I, I, what would work well for me is X, Y, and Z, might not know because they spent so long kind of masking it. And then someone kind of going, but you're not up to standard. You're not kind of like meeting my requirements. Then it becomes a, a real maelstrom of confusion. Yeah. Absolutely. It stops a bit about facts of kind of what needs to be achieved. It becomes about, becomes personal and emotional. And then that becomes really difficult, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just thinking of, of, of the future, James, um, what, what, what are your sort of, hopes um, for your son going into the future and, and how the how you hope the workplace adapts and, and, and gives him the best chance of a gaining employment to your earlier point about the statistics of, of children with autism or rather people with autism um, and, and to get to, to, to give him the best chance of, of doing things he wants to do as well I suppose because that's what kind of we all kind of go into the workplace to, to find something that becomes a passion. Yeah, I think it's a critical thing. Like any parent, I want him to be able to flourish in the workplace, to be able to do meaningful work. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things I, I worry about with this is that, you know, I don't want him there to make up the numbers. I want him there to be able to express himself, to be able to use his skills, you know, lots of unique skills that he can bring to the workplace for sure. Um, and I want him to be able to do that. And if he's got ambition, um, I want him to have a clear route to be able to really develop his career too, not just get into the workplace, but actually thrive um, and be recognized and do valuable work. You know, for me, that's that's at the heart of, I suppose when I was before uh, 
he was diagnosed, I had lots of grandiose thoughts about him doing, you know, something better than I do. And, and again, just like Emma said, it's putting your own sense of what is what you want your child to do and it all comes from you and, and that's the same in the workplace I think and when it comes to targets and KPIs and things like that they're all designed as a one-size-fits-all you know it's all designed to how can we how can we fit this person into this box that we need filled rather than looking at the individual and thinking how can they help develop this business and take it forward and none of that is happening I think um, in the workplace at the moment, it's all very standardised. And, and it goes back to that school element. And it was really interesting, Emma, when you said bringing businesses into schools and, and kind of using it that way. And I, I've always found school in particular a real challenge for my son because it's very, it has that feel of, you know, it's everybody goes in in uniform, everybody looks the same, everybody has to be treated the same, everybody has to have, and, and I found it really difficult to move beyond that and, and the battle to try and get the additional support that you need in schools has, has been a real, real challenge. And I think you're quite right. You know, my son would go, you know, six, seven hours just masking the entire day and then he'd come home, feel like he can be himself again. And we'd get the full force of everything that he had to go through during the day. Um, yeah. and, and it's almost going from that regimented one-size-fits-all school environment to transitioning into a work environment that's not too dissimilar to that um, and I think that's the thing for me I hope that the future means that when he's when, when children are at school um, and they're, they're given the level of support that they need that doesn't tell them all the time you need to conform you know this is the world you live in and you need to conform around the world I want them to have um, you know, the ability to, to, to recognise that not everybody's the same. Um, everybody is able to contribute in their own way and to support children through schooling and then critically from schooling to the world of work. And then the world of work is there set up saying, look, it's okay, you don't have to conform. We don't have this box that you need to fill. We know that you can bring these skills and that's why we're bringing you into our organisation. And for it not to be about numbers, but for it to be about recognizing the genuine tangible skills that they can bring to that organization that's what I hope the future holds do you know what already has the perfect model for that and that's the Paralympic selection process because what they do is they don't have individuals selected for particular sports they test them across their skills yeah. they see what they're capable of what their bodies are capable of and then they go you can do that you can do and you can do that which might be completely kind of like separate and different and it just allows individuals to be seen for their capacities and it's you know it's that kind of breadth of imagination and kind of how do we get the best out of this person based on what they can do in that moment which is you know it's massively exciting that that happens on that scale um yeah, I think there's the, 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 one of the things that kind of I think is really critical at this point is, is there's a lot of, you know, awareness training and people kind of feeling as though they kind of want to take on more understanding. But where's the work? Right. So lots of people are kind of doing, oh, I understand what neurodivergent means. I knew what neurodiversity means. But actually the practical application of that and the work, the consistent work that is required to make that a truly inclusive process is, is kind of, there's a real disconnect. Um, 
you know, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day who does a lot of um, sort of race equality work. She says it's exactly the same kind of after George Floyd. It's like there's a lot of people kind of who have the terminology, understand what a microaggression is, but actually is are not continuing to do the work. And I think that's something for the neurodivergent world we need to kind of really be aware of. Um, I've got a prime example. I was doing an awareness training for a, a quite a big company the other day, and I was talking about how different learning styles might be accommodated in, in, in training. And on the one side, the people sort of who were contributing, who were the employees were going, were forced into these kind of really intense periods. We don't have time to assimilate stuff before we practice it. It's like it's all in a really short time frame. And then on the other side, we've got the kind of like the CEO saying, yes, we've managed to get 800 people through training modules in the last three weeks. I'm like, yes, but how many people are actually understanding what's being taught? But we've got 800 people through. <laughs> and it's like, OK, you need to listen to kind of like see what the other hand is actually kind of doing. Um, so I think that still coming back to the idea of you need to continually not just see people, neurodivergent people as just a group who have a title. It's about seeing what people can be are capable of. Yeah, um, and it's uh, I mean, this, this may well be totally oversimplifying things, but it seems like one of the, the big messages coming through what you both said there is this tailored approach. So rather than one size fits all, whether it's in education or the workplace, is understanding people's skills and tailoring um, it, it. It seems to be the best best way of doing things and I suppose it's it kind of happens in a way already so so we've all been um we've all been involved in some sort of personality model test haven't we whether it be sort of Belbin um or insights discovery or something like that 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 talks about everybody being a bit different and adapting to the person in front of you because they might be a little bit more red today or a bit more yellow and and how how that can help the workplace um and, and again, am I am I oversimplifying to suggest that this is um, a continuation, an extension of that, or am I completely missing the point, Emma? <laughs> you see my face. Um, yes, yeah, I can. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty resistant to that. I have to say, I yeah. think one of the things that might be easier is actually, you know, and it comes back to being able to self advocate. It doesn't. It's not simply from the business perspective of kind of making sure there are enough options or enough kind of possibilities or kind of, uh, you know, uh, opportunities. I think we have to make sure that our children are, are educated about what's possible for them so that they can say, I'm good at this. I know how to do that. You know, giving them the op the, the, the space to, be, to discover that because that solves a lot of problems because, mm. you know, then you're not faced with the manager going, how do I fix you? I think you're broken. Um, a really simple example my, my son as you know had a stroke so he his right hand side doesn't necessarily kind of listen to his brain the same way that his left hand side does and when he's swimming he's really good at swimming but when he does backstroke he tends to kind of take out an entire class because he veers across <laughs> the pool. and so we had a little conversation I said look you remember that that you, the right hand side that just needs to work a little harder so when you're doing backstroke you just need to go push say push every time you, you, you stroke hmm. and last night he was in the pool and he swam straight as a die and he came out and said I did it I told myself to push harder with that side and that was just kind of like we had a, we had an issue we talked about it, we came up with strategy and he did it himself and he saw the evidence. Um, 
and and he didn't wipe out the entire pool so you know that's uh <laughs> i think if our children are able to understand kind of what's going on for them and then yeah. say this is where i'm at right now you're not going to have someone else saying okay what color are you today they can mm. kind of go i'm here i'm at this point and i need to have you know what's going to work well for me is x y z and this means that i can continue you know contributing yeah cool yeah no i completely agree and i think the you know it's such a broad idea of, of, of so so my son said well i've got autism so why do i not like structure and routine and it's not you know the, 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 these are the, the kind of misconceptions that pervade through society and it just gives you in a microcosm just the scale of the challenge i think we've got as a society around what what is neurodivergent you know one day my son can be absolutely, absolutely fine with brushes teeth. He'll, he'll get dressed himself and, and everything will be fine. The next day will be the complete opposite. It's not necessarily about the type of person you are, but how are you now? What, what type of person you, are you today, this moment, right now? And I think that's, that's the challenge that we've got is, is kind of understanding it. And, you know, we need to be exactly that, Emma, you know, self, give, give, children the tools to be able to self-advocate and to be able to say this is how I am today um, and be able to kind of feel able to do that yeah um, and, and I think that's the other thing is 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 the feeling able to say who they are without the fear of prejudice or anything like that because as your example at the start Emma suggests you know even see, senior people saying you know just almost just saying look you know this is me and then the fallout from that is it's yeah, it's, it's, it's really difficult. And that's where we need to kind of turn the corner, really, is be able to yeah. self-advocate, but also feel able to say, this is me, um, yeah. without fear. I think that, that, that permission, uh, I spend a lot of time talking with clients about just giving themselves the permission to kind of support themselves in the way that they, they need. A lot of the time, they know what they need. They just don't feel they're capable or able to ask for it. But when they do make that shift, it's incredibly powerful, you know. Um, yeah, and, and then sort of just having a language to be able to, it is, it's, it's definitely that having a language to be able to say what you need with partly without, the, yeah, without the fear of judgment, but also kind of, um, as an example, sort of talking to a client yesterday who's autistic and, and even though he's at quite a senior level, can get very close in a conversation where his frustration is that his conversation or his message is just kind of sliding past the other person and, and it becomes very heated for him in that moment. Whereas if, you, you know, we're talking about kind of how you step back and see what's the, what's the end goal, what do you want to achieve through that moment so that you can get there. And I think that that's one of the things that, particularly for young people it feels very heated in the moment that experience of kind of all that hormonal turmoil and where am I going and where do I fit if we can hold that idea for them this is where you're going to get to you'll, you'll be okay you will get through this and then give them the tools to be able to kind of navigate that as well with support then then hopefully there'll be a place waiting for them Thinking about the future then and, and kind of where we are right now, <clears throat> just a point of understanding for me. Are there 
um, sort of universal standards or understood standards of of what a um, uh, you know helping supporting uh, neurodivergent individuals is in a workplace. So you know these are the steps that you have to take, or does that not exist, or does that is that not even helpful? I don't I don't I don't know. Well, I mean, I've spoken before about the access to work process, which is is where you know you can ask for a workplace needs assessment mm -hmm. and what access to work is a government fund that provides financial support for individuals who have a, a condition or for want of a disability um you don't have to have a diagnosis for that but there'll usually be some sort of impact on the work and kind of like capacity so it's about um, you know, if someone needs assistive software or they need additional kind of hardware or different monitors um, and kind of coaching comes as part of that. And, and a lot of people who kind of been, um, you know, finding working from home really helps, but then they need to have the working from home set up to allow them to yeah. do that. Um, you know, I think what needs to happen in terms of um, kind of better there isn't a standard but i mean all places are supposed to have some sort of awareness there is a kind of a duty of care mm. for individuals within the workplace um and being able to get the best out of them you know whether that's through an hr or occupational health kind of route but i think regardless of how people get support they shouldn't feel as though they're lesser or broken because of it mm. you know i always kind of say to people i see this is a See, this is a really, really kind of critical, tailored piece of CPD. This is a course. This is an investment in you. And, and, and that you know, the organisation should see that as an investment in the person to give them the support, not as a means of kind of saying, OK, so we tried all this and we still think you're rubbish. Bye bye. Mm. Which unfortunately can be the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, does this. So, <clears throat> again, just thinking about the future and. You know, we, we hear so much about best companies to work for on Glassdoor and, and those sorts of things being really valuable to people researching places. Um, do, do you, again, do you think it would be helpful to have um, sort of companies called out as great for helping neurodivergent individuals? Or do you think, well, it just should be something that we, we all are good at rather and, and it would just come under the best companies to work for or do you think it's it warrants having a separate these people are great at it and therefore um you know that would be a good a good good group of companies to go look at first i th i think that's a bit of a sticky wicket to go by to be honest i think that you become you know opportunities become more marginalized i think we need to be a bit braver about kind of allowing everybody a place in the workplace just because certain neurodivergent conditions kind of might gravitate to certain strengths doesn't mean to say that those companies should be the ones that kind of are you know available to those people I think across the board we need to be better mm. as, as human beings we need to be better at allowing people to find their own way and, and be different yeah cool what, what do you think yeah, what do you think, James? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think that there are examples of employers out there that are, that are doing things differently, and I think that's encouraging. I think it's, again, you know, it tends to be the larger organisations who seem to have 
clearly they've got the resources to be able to put things in place and you know it's well researched um you know i i think i'm not sure how successful it is but i know that microsoft did, did something where they they have a special application process where the you know the interview process is is kind of what you would be classed as non-conventional they get a job coach um and they also get a mentor once they've started work and i think that's all encouraging um, but I agree, I agree with Emma. I think I think by kind of highlighting people that do good work, that's one thing. But you know, again, it just demonstrates just the, the sheer lack of of good employers out there that really get it and that really do uh, put things in place. I mean, one thing that I saw um, in the US uh, was that you know that, that there are more and more for smaller organisations anyway. There are more kind of third party organisations who are out there trying to support. I guess that's the role that you fill, Emma, I'm not sure, but, you know, being able to advise um, organisations on the best approach to, to kind of help, and maybe that's part of the solution. Yeah, I think that, that sort of rather than it seeing as being something that only big businesses and big organisations can support, I think it needs to be, there's a, there's a place for everyone because you're not going to get that, you know, kind of hugely resourced and, and, and kind of targeted support in you know kind of the middle of nowhere kind of thing it needs to be an allowance a permission for for you know if you happen to be autistic in a small village and you want to kind of work in um you know sort of an organization that deals with communication that you should be able to do that someone shouldn't be able to kind of say no you can't do that because you're autistic um so I think that sort of, you know, having something that big campaigns and kind of big kind of like pushes for kind of um, sort of celebrating neurodiversity is all great. But I think that actually how long would that be sustained <laughs> beyond the kind of the clickbait? How do we make change sustainable at a ground roots level for our children? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, both. Um, we're at the end of the podcast now. That's gone really quickly. Um, <clears throat> covered a load of ground there. Um, and I've taken a load of, load of notes from a, a personal learning perspective. So thank you both for, again, you know, sharing your personal stories um, and your insight and experience. I know uh, people listening would have, would have, will take a lot from that. So thank you both. You're welcome. What have um, you learned? Come on. <laughs> take a note what have you learned yeah I, you know I suppose for me I kind of came into today thinking I know I've got blind spots um I oversimplify things and, and try and kind of um try and find solutions for things that maybe are too too broad and not not tailored enough um so I think for me it's it's kind of knowing and understanding that sort of tailored approach and and I guess I'm also looking back at people I've um, managed in the past and, and wondering how many times I've got this wrong, actually, and be, being truly honest with you, that somebody I might have seen as, I would have assessed them as having a, a poor attitude um, or difficult to manage, those sorts of things that um, <clears throat> I think, again, being completely honest, I would have, I would, learning now what I, I, I've learned I would have done it differently. And I think there would have been a very different outcome um, for those individuals. And, you know, I would I would feel differently about it myself as a result. Great. Right. 
<laughs> Thanks for checking in there, Matt. Um, so, uh, as always, um, thank you for choosing to listen to What the Future. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please hit subscribe and obviously tell everybody else about us. Uh, that would be wonderful. And finally, just on, on mentoring, we, we think at Future Leaders, it's a hugely valuable step on the leadership journey. Uh, and we're here to help to make a difference. If you feel the same way, then, then please get involved. Tap the join us button on our webpage, which is www.futureleadersmentoring.com and follow us on LinkedIn to get into the, the conversations where we share uh, our podcasts, where we start conversations on, on topics like today, get involved um, or just sit back and watch the conversation happen and, and, and learn some stuff along the way. Um, but for now, goodbye, and we will speak again soon. Thank you both. Thank you. Bye.